Want to get your hands on some boxes and line socks? Very, very easy to do. Tell us a little about yourself in our survey, and we'll send you a pair for free. Just go to custom.sockclub.com slash IEX. You won't regret it. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. I'm Boxes and Lines! There he goes. His Welcome. first section of the new year. We have a very mm. special guest on today. A guest whose name we won't name. Very, very secret. But he mm. is the protagonist in the now infamous podcast, Occupy a Job on Wall Street. Mm. We know who he is, but we can't tell you. Yeah, don't let it slip, John. Don't let All us... right, I'll do my best. And we listened, we listened to this, this young man in an interview on a different podcast, and they referred to him as Dundee. So we're going to call him Dundee for the rest of this podcast. But again, Dundee is the protagonist of the podcast, Occupy a Job on Wall Street. If you don't subscribe to it, you definitely should. They're a quick podcast, very, very funny. And I thought we'd start off with a welcome, Dundee, and ask you, you know, just basically explain what is Occupy a Job on Wall Street, please. Uh, well, it, it, you know, it's a it's short stories about a, a time when our business used to be fun. So, you know, I think the best description of it was actually a deal breaker, and they described it as yarns about an early about early aughts Wall Street, reminding us of a simpler, more disgusting time with a fun twist. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's about right. You know, um, I, I write them for a free email list. You can sign up on the website, and then we we put them into a podcast format. You know, uh, in preparation for this interview, I, I called some of uh, your former colleagues at RBC, which I'm sure you're ecstatic to hear about. You're great. And, um, <laughs> and, the, and, and I think it's probably a reasonable way to start the interview talking about, you know, probably many of your listeners are familiar with it. Actually, the best way is probably to open a beer. So hold on a second. Yeah. I'm opening a beer right now. Absolutely. Not an IX liquidity beer, but we'll, we'll, no, it's, uh, we'll send uh, you a... From the local bodega. Mm -hmm. so, we're sending um, you some of our own beer. Anyway, carry on. So, you know, as, as you know, Ronan, you know, I used to work for probably one of the biggest hedge funds in the world, and, and it wouldn't be unusual for us to trade 40, 50 million shares a day. And, you know, we were a pretty sophisticated desk. We... I would say three quarters of our trades, we would trade electronically, and maybe that translated into about 50% of volume. And increasingly, we watched our, the bids in the office just disappear as we were trading them. And we, we really couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and you know, the, the timing was, was excellent because we were expanding out our relationship with RBC, and, uh, and you guys came in and explained to us what was going on. But, but I got this firsthand from a, uh, a sales trader, you can probably guess who it is, who's still at RBC. And, and he said that, that, I wrote it down, he said, when I first took Ronan to whatever customer it was, and he described the latency arbor issue, he goes, I don't know whose jaw hit the floor faster, mine or the customer's. And he said, I think there must have been about 40 F-bombs dropped in and around that. <laughs> most of those from yeah. Ronan. Yeah. Most, most, most probably came from my yeah. mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I assume your, your audience is, is more than familiar, and I guess Flash Boys and everything has, has given that some uh, exposure, but uh, it was an extraordinary, you know, eye-opening experience for a, you know, for a trading desk that, that thought it was pretty sophisticated, but was watching in a matter of months how the market had gotten away from us. Yeah, it, it was a pretty mental time because, um, 
you know, I, I, I started, a, you know, in the fall of 2009 at RBC and first day on the job, no shit, I asked Brad what crossing the spread meant, right? So just go to show you, like, I knew nothing actually about the trading aspect of it, but I'll never forget it. And I don't think this was a story in a book, but he said to me, what you know, I think is rocket science. And you seem to think what I know is rocket science. And we just got down to that. And obviously there was much more than Brad and I, but there was a big team at RBC and we went on this sort of science experiment, I think some people referred to, but it, 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 was, it was pretty remarkable. So sitting in your seat, you saw it happen firsthand, right? Where you're interacting with the market on a daily basis. And a lot of people questioned, even our technology team questioned, they thought, they thought it was trader error and they didn't realize that like, it, it wasn't you missing quotes because you, 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 you were just too slow to get to them or anything like that. And uh, you, you were one of the people though who actually listened, right? There's a lot of times I went in and I, I might say, hey, fucking circuits or something. And people were like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And there was a subset of people who actually listened and tried it out. So fair dues to you, Mr. Dundee. <laughs> no, it was, it was fascinating. Uh, you know, it opened my, uh, my eyes a little bit. You know, I had, had done some transaction cost analysis at, at that stage. And, you know, the desk was definitely, you know, getting more and more sophisticated. But, you know, I remember looking at cues, you know, and they'd, they'd be four cents wide and a, and a million up and you would buy 600,000 and the other 400,000 would just disappear. And it's yeah. like, what happened to it? You know, like, and it's like, oh, it's a coincidence. And then it happens again. Yeah. yeah, it was it was remarkable. Holy shit! Holy shit! What happened to it? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm interested, uh, Dundee. Obviously, you've had a successful career as a trader. What is the motivated still, still you? Have one. Still have one. And you still have one, I'm sure. <laughs> what was it that motivated you to start to to go down this parallel path or add this podcast um, series? What 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 did you hope to achieve by this, and what motivated you? Well, it started off as a bit of a, a bit of a prank. You know, we, I had a circle of friends. You know, I'm sure there's a cliche about never having friends like you had when you were young. And, and I had a circle of friends we used to call the circus. And, you know, we were out almost every night. And, you know, the, um, the it just, it just constant sort of chaos and, and, and fun and all of it being paid for by, you know, by other people, which is wonderful. And... I'd always had a, a, an interest in um, in writing. I was a classics major, and uh, I sort of stumbled into Wall Street. And you know, doing the first couple of podcasts was uh, something to entertain the circus. And then I sort of blinked my eyes, and two years later, there's a hundred short stories. And and the stories, you know, are, are really made for you know our attention span. They're, they're five to ten minutes long, and and. After doing a few of them, I started looking into, you know, how you should actually write. And, and it turns out the way that you write comedy is, is you just tell the truth because it's much funnier. The truth is much funnier than anybody, anyone could, could, could make up. So, you know, the other thing I found fascinating is, you know, I always tell people, try to write something down on a piece of paper and think about something else. You can't, you can't do it. No one can do it. You, if you're... If you get a pen and paper and, and, and concentrate and look at the paper and write something down, you have to think about what you're writing about. And, and, and it's actually a pretty remarkable thing to do. So, so writing itself has been a really rewarding experience. Um, and, uh, you know, David Morrell, who's a, a fairly famous author, described it as a, as a ferret scratching to get out. 
And, and, and that's certainly what's happened. I, I can't not right now. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's it's a mistake, and uh, but it's really been hugely enjoyable. And the other thing is, is that it's allowed me to stay in contact with a, with a network and a circle of friends because I, I never write without the person's permission. So I sit down and I have beers with people and, and we talk about the old days and we laugh and the stories just flow. And, you know, it's just, I've always found that very enjoyable and I, and I still do, so. Do you, have, do you have any story that is resoundingly like one of your favorite or you just sit down, think of things and then write? You know, I've really refined my, my writing process. So I write on Saturdays and Sundays, first thing in the morning at 5.30 in the morning, and I, I write for an hour and a half, and then I go walk my dog around. And then on Tuesdays, I get drunk and stoned, and I write. And, you know, 90% of it is, is, is garbage, what I write down. But then you have 10% that you never would have had before. And, you know, I, I think of it sort of a little bit like the Chuck Palahniuk, of writing, that's kind of what he does. And, and if I can um, you know, get a few people together and you know, you have this sort of story off and then the stories sort of flow. You know, of all my favorite stories, I mean, it's probably still the first one, which is the, you know, the Pelican. The, uh, you know, I, I won't, you know, repeat that one here, but the very first episode is, it was an eye-opening experience when I first got onto Wall Street. I just couldn't believe that people could possibly act that way. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they did and they, act, they still do. So, I don't know. So is, so. Subscribe, everybody. you got to hear this one. <laughs> <laughs> so is there an element of social critique in what you're doing? I mean, I guess part of what you're doing, obviously, is to it is just because the comedic value and the absurdity and, and uh, describing these interesting, funny stories. Is there a purpose beyond this of kind of like the critique of the way that the Wall Street operates, or uh, are you trying to cast these stories in a particular light? Perhaps I'm a little antisocial, but, but I actually think that, that many, in many ways, you know, every generation criticizes the generation behind it, and, and that's the way it always has been, and it's the way it always will be. But, but I, I see enormous flaws in the generation that's coming up. Uh, I think they're, they're, they're coddled, and they're, they have seen a lack of adversity and they're too sensitive and and the uh you know there was something raw and unfiltered about the, the, the life in the two thousand the two thousands and there's something sterile and and unattractive about Wall Street now. Uh, I think it's better for investors. I, I don't doubt that whatsoever. I think you know lower commissions and tighter spreads are one of the most powerful forces in the universe. And I think that it's been phenomenal for capitalism and phenomenal for the investment community. But there's something missing in, on Wall Street now. And, and you know, I, I kind of look at it like bowling with the bumpers up, you know, <laughs> and, and, and the, but, but it's quite possible that I'm just missing it now, you know, that I'm, uh, you know, I work for a, a sleepy sort of firm. And, and, you know, if I still worked at my, you know, previous big firm, maybe I would be in the middle of things and things would be wild and crazy and fun. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. You know, I, I think people are nostalgic for shows like Mad Men because, you know, it, it's so, uh, you know, they're nostalgic about it for a reason because it was, uh, it was uh, collegial. Mm. Uh, you know, I think, that, I think that's it. You know, I sat down with a, um, a, a very good friend of mine and 
she's a senior person on Wall Street now, and, and she used to be a sales trader at Morgan Stanley. And I asked her for some stories, and I kind of expected her to say, tell me how she was, you know, treated badly as mm. a woman. And she didn't. Mm. She, she said that, that, that she just missed how collegial Wall Street used to be. And then she comes in now, and admittedly she's a senior person, and, and she doesn't talk to the person next to her, and it's dead silent in the firm, and no one goes out for drinks afterwards. And this was before COVID as well. Mm. And, and, and she just said that she, she, she missed that life. And, and I think that's partly what I'm trying to get at. You know, that, that there's something, something missing now in, in some ways. So. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely, you know, to use your term, which I like, more sterile than it was before. And sterile doesn't mean that it was just wild and bad, and now it's good. I, I agree. I think some of the life and the camaraderie has been taken out of it. And I see that in the position we're in right now, we talk to a lot of people sell side and buy side still on a daily basis. And, and you're right, it's different. I'm not saying you have to go out and get hammered with your teammates every night, but um, a healthy dose of it is actually not that bad. So maybe, maybe that's the Irish in me talking, but a lot, a lot of that has changed. Do you think, like, from, you know, a lot of your podcasts are about from 2000 to 2010 and in that realm. Was there a triggering moment? Did it just slowly become more sterile or was there, was there anything? What, what, was it the financial crisis? Was it the commission compression? All of a sudden, maybe you couldn't take people out. You needed more approval to take people out. Whereas before, I will say I came from the technology vendor world where you couldn't just take out a client and run up a thousand dollars in a bar. You had to get pre-approval and stuff. But on Wall Street, you could kind of do to to an extent whatever you wanted with a with, with the budget there. I'm just wondering what changed. Yeah, I mean that, that's definitely part of it. I mean, let's just take a a snapshot of you know a million share trade in two thousand and you know two thousand and two, right? You know, you go and buy a million Cisco, you know, perhaps they make a market for up ten cents. You pay six cents a share. But say that they take their, you know, they get out of their delta pretty even, you know, that $60,000, if you trade that with a second tier firm in 2002, you know, that trader was walking away with $20,000 in his pocket, right? Yeah. Like that, that's what the payout was. And, you know, the firm would walk away with 20000 and then the rest of it would go to overhead maybe, right? And, and the, uh, you know, what's, uh, you know, you went out with a bunch of people for dinner and, and, and drinks and, you know, who cares what it costs? You know, many of my, um, you know, I, I never really indulged in the worst that, that Wall Street uh, had to offer because, you know, I met my, my wife fairly uh, early in my career and, and thank God for that. But, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people uh, for a lot of reasons. I know a lot of people on the street and, and you know, let's call them second tier Wall Street firms. You know, they could come in and say that they spent $8,000 in cash and the firm would just reimburse them. Yeah. And you can imagine what they spend that $8,000 <laughs> on. Well, you don't need to imagine. Yeah. Just, just listen to some of yeah. the podcasts. Right? <laughs> well, well let, let, let me ask you about the pandemic because we were talking about camaraderie. It's obviously hard to have a, a, a deep sense of camaraderie where most of your interaction with people is on a screen throughout the day. How, how do you think that this period of time has affected interactions of people on on Wall Street? And do you think it will last? Do you think there are lasting changes, or do you think that you know, God willing, the 
you know, enough of us get vaccinated, we get back to more of a normal life, things will kind of revert to where they were. I, I have a very sort of idiosyncratic view on this, and it's not a very popular one. And, and, and that is that, you know, you know, to start off with, I think that the pandemic is very similar to 9-11. You know, it's a, it's a bolt out of the blue that changed the way that we see the world. Yeah, I think there's parallels. How will it change Wall Street? So I think what's happened with the pandemic is that it's sped up dynamics that were already in place and it's it's it sent them exponentially growing so so you know what are the dynamics in place on wall street it is it's automation it is outsourcing and it's juniification and i think all three of those things uh will continue i think that um you'll see more automation you'll see more juniification you know younger guys doing jobs yeah because they're better equipped and able to do so and i think you'll probably see more outsourcing as well because I, I i agree i think it's accelerated i i also see recently right you you see like goldman sachs asset management virtue a lot of people are moving to florida leaving new york i think people realize like i'll, I'll admit i was definitely one of those people that thought work from home was just fucking nonsense and everybody yeah. needed to be together and now like 10 months later, I still think having some people around is better, but um, I'm not sure, you know, my, my, my way might be going the way of the dodo bird and, and it's, it's, it's all going, you know, more remote or more, New York, I guess, might lose the austere of like the financial sector and people. You, you know, it might and yeah. uh, experience will tell us, but I, you know, in the other direction, we haven't changed fundamental human nature and the amount of time that we've been away has really reminded me of how much as human beings we need to be connected to each other in a real tangible way, you know, and Zoom just doesn't cut it, you know, for, for very long. You want a hug, John? I, I would. I'll give you a, a, a virtual hug, Ronan. Absolutely. <laughs> hug emoji. Yeah. Big, big, big hugs, fellas. Exactly. Big hugs. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's right. I, I think that, that people are, are, are desperate for, for social interactions. And, and, and the way I, you know, after I finished my 100th episode, I, I signed off saying that, that, you know, this was the opportunity of a lifetime for people. Those opportunities are going to be face-to-face. -face. You know, that, that is how you're going to go out and, and succeed, uh, I, I think. And, and, and that means being around other people. Now, if everyone moves to Florida because there's no taxes there and the weather's good and, 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 the, and the governor has an idea of what he's doing, well, then maybe those opportunities will be in Florida. And, and, and so that, that, you know, there's that part of it. And then I think the other part of it is that, you know, who wants to commute for an hour and a half each way to come to a place like New York City, you know, and and that's unbelievably badly managed. And, and you know, I still love New York City, but... I take about 90 minutes normally you know, on the way home from work. But now, obviously, I'm not making light of the pandemic. But because there's so few people back here in New York, I uh, drive in and out every day, and it's like 40 minutes. It's like it's, yeah. and it's, and it's. But what it's told me is, obviously, I want New York to come back to what it was. But uh, I absolutely don't want to do the commute that I've done for years. And uh, I had some health issues before uh, the the pandemic happened, and I've done nothing for them. It's not like I'm working out. I've been drinking more than ever. And like my doctors are looking at me like as a prodigy. Like think I've gotten so much better. And it's the commute, it's the travel, it's the it's the more sleep. And 
Well, I said I would never move to Florida. You know, that type of lifestyle, there's a, there's a lot to be said for it. Ultimately, people are always going to want to come here because America is a great country. And, you know, the peak of capitalism still is New York City. So, you know, New York's already 50% immigrants. You know, maybe it's 60% and, and 10% of the New York's population go to Florida and, you know, maybe... maybe yeah, couples, and frankly, you know. the, the diversity and the, you know, energy is so much qualitatively different than it is in someplace else. And I think that really contributes to quality of life. I think, I, I think that's true. You know, every Tuesday, not this Tuesday because I'm with you guys, but every Tuesday I walk outside and, you know, I, I, I walk, carry one head around and, and, and I walk down to my bar and it's exciting. It's fun. You know, I see a lot of crazy people, you know, I, I, the, uh, you know, and I get there and, and, and you know, I, I'm sometimes excited to go outside and get coffee in the city. Mm. I don't know if that would be true mm-hmm. of Florida. So. No, I, I agree. Like, I, I miss the buzz. I live out in New Jersey. My, my kids are a few years away from both being gone to college. And when that happens, my wife and I are longing to get back into the city. And exactly what you're saying, walk down the street and just get that energy. You don't, you don't get yeah. it in the suburban town. Yeah. Now, now, I walk around with my head on a swivel, right? I, I think that's right. That's right, yeah. Would you guys excuse me for one minute while I get myself another beer? Uh, please. <laughs> I'll be right back. Ronan, we're going to have to uh, entertain ourselves for a a few moments here. Uh, We're almost done. Boxes and lines. I had a funny sort of story happen recently. My, um, uh, I had a couple of ankle biters, a couple of young kids, and (laughs) um, and with all the, you know, the 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 pandemic and all the uh, all all the, the the recent disasters, you know, right at the end of the year. We had an epidemic of, of head lice, oh. and I'm like, I just thought that was hilarious because, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. So, so you know, I'm pretty much immune. It's like I've got antibodies, <laughs> right? and um, and but no one finds that funny at all because <laughs> well, that's apparently they, they, get in, they get in everywhere though. Yeah. But they're in the pillows or in the clothing. It's like bed bugs or something mm. like that. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, add that to a sort of neurotic, you know, New York sort of environment. And uh, it was almost <laughs> like someone testing positive for COVID. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a, It's been a wacky past 10 months. I love how you know, something unlucky, unlucky happens. Someone goes, oh, you just got 2020. It's like, it's, it's become a phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, then, and, now, and now it's 2021, right? Yeah, yeah. it's 2021. Yeah. And things are so much better now. Yeah, nothing's changed as of yet. Yeah. Well, we have a question we ask all our guests. Sure. I don't know if we gave you the, the heads up on this. We ask everyone who joins, what's their favorite Wall Street movie and why? And we've gotten some, some wide-ranging answers to this one. I don't think I'm going to give you anything that's, you know, too out of the ordinary. You know, that my knee-jerk answer is, is Boiler Room, because mm-hmm. even though it's absurd, and there's no way these guys were making anything like that kind of money trading those kind of shares, yeah, so it had no authenticity to it whatsoever. It was just fun, but I think probably the best is The Big Short. Mm. I thought it was very well put together. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Michael Lewis fan. I think he's an extraordinary guy. I have not read his latest book, but but I do intend to. It, probably The Big Short, I guess. It's it's funny about um, the great answer, but it's it's funny um, Boiler Room. Uh, cracks me up because when IAX, I'm not sure if you've heard this story, John, but when we were looking to get our first office space, 
our COO at the time, John Schwal and I were going around looking at office spaces, right? So we didn't have much money. So we were getting like tiny spaces, sub, sub portions of, of floors. And we walk into this trading firm down on 100 William Street. I won't say the name of the firm. I, I can't even remember. But anyway, as we walk in, it was pre-market open. And we just hear, dun, 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 dun. I swear to God, it's blasting rocky, right? So then we walk in, and there's this conference room. And I am not joking. There's this young guy, looked like he was about like 24, you know, waist jacket on. And he's just yelling at all these young kids, all impeccably dressed, like, we're going to go out there, bros, right? And like, <laughs> we went out, so we, we went and looked at their office. And I, honest to Christ, this is a true story. We, we turned the corner. It was tiny. And they were all sitting almost shoulder to shoulder, but like a barrier between it. So uh, about a week later, I wanted to go back because at the time I was doing some of the telecom for the company. I'm like, I needed to see their telco closet because I just wanted to see the building risers and how mm -hmm. it was all set up. So I asked, could I go back and see it? So John and I went back. True as God. There wasn't a thing there. Maybe there was a pencil or something. But the whole thing is gone. <laughs> Probably running from the federal authorities. Yeah, they, they, they had not moved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was, pretty, it was pretty remarkable. It always reminds me of like the, the, that movie. Like that stuff actually, I, I agree with you. I don't think anyone was making near that level of money and opulence and Ferraris and everything like that. But the, um, the premise behind it's absolutely true. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's based on a true story, obviously. I think all they needed was um, a guy like Tony Duff to go through there. Yeah. You know, Tony has, has, has been a consultant on Billions. And, he, you know, he, he, he's one of the reasons that Billions gets stuff right, you know. Yeah. And, and all they needed was someone from the business to say, you know, look, you know, twenty, you know, spread or, or, you know, or commission, you know, on, on 400 shares is just not that much money. Yep. You know, like, you know, that's all they needed. But otherwise, they got it. They got it pretty right. You know, I, I in 2002, you know, I ran in some pretty dark circles and there were a lot of people like that, you know. Yeah, it was crazy. Actually, that's a good book. What, what's the name of that book? Is it Confessions of a Buy Side Trader or something like that? So, Tony wrote a book called The Buy Side. And, yes. and Tony and I were, were, I wouldn't say we're necessarily good friends, but we ran in the same circles. We went on surfing trips together, you know. Um, it's a good book. Yeah, and he, and you know, he, he Tony's a real deal. There's no, no no question about it, you know. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that book. It's I, I felt it was more like realistic than a lot of the other stuff you hear. Yeah, it was realistic because because what he you know what he went through and what he did was was real. No 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 question about it. So uh, yeah, and he um. And he set himself straight and, and did what he had to do, you know, which was to, to get himself sober and, and for the most important person in his life, which was his daughter, yeah. you know. And, uh, it's a remarkable and, you story. Know, I think his story is extraordinary. And he's, he's, he's a great guy. And, and, uh, and, and I thought it was an Yeah, example. it was. And it required an extraordinary amount of courage, I think, to be able to be um, that honest in, in that kind of a public way and hopefully probably help some people too. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll probably wrap up here. It's a, like it's 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 interesting, and I, I would recommend people listen to the podcast. I love it because to me, I have the attention span of a gnat. of a pet rock. I, I need it needed to be sub ten mm -hmm. minutes, and I then I dream on about something else. But it, it's funny when when you when you think back, of, right? Like these are only stories from two thousand to two thousand and ten, and now it's January twenty twenty one. I hope to fuck ten years from now. We're not looking back going, oh. 
those those uh, late 2018 <laughs> were crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, the, so sterile now. <laughs> we will be, you know. I mean, the, the the funny thing is, I think to some extent, is that that to me it doesn't seem that long ago that we found our way to bars with a map on the back of a cocktail napkin, and somehow, even though half of us didn't have cell phones, we all turned up and we all saw each other there. Like, yeah, that's like magic. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, right. But it was only 2006 when the iPhone came mm. out. But, you know, look, this is why my stories have never been told. Because no one was recording them. And this is why they'll never be told again. Because, you know, that generation is past. And, and in some ways, I think it's probably good that it is past. You know, I have great fun recalling it. Nice. Well, listen, good man. Uh, not only great to see you again, we appreciate you coming on our podcast. And... We'd love to stay in touch. Yeah. Aren't you forgetting something, Ronan? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to give you a pair of fucking socks. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, for your time and dedication, we're going to send you a pair of fucking socks. Right? <laughs> They're very Boxes comfy, though. You know, where are you, uh, Ronan? Where are your offices? We are down in uh, 3 World Trade Center now. We, we basically you know, I, I, went in a few block area. I'll, I'll bike down and pick them up. All right? <laughs> definitely do. Definitely do. Right. It's very, ni very nice talking to you guys. I appreciate the... Uh, the, the time and uh, it's always nice to have a beer and uh, and, and a laugh. It's it's been right. fun and oddly it's a little more cerebral than many of our pie, which granted is a low bar to clear, but it's been really interesting and fun. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, and I'm a total <laughs> idiot as well. So it's, yeah. Good man. Cheers. Thanks again. All right. All right. All right. Thank nice. you. Best of luck for the year here. Bye. expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.